Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, it is so, so good to see you guys here this morning. And um, I have a unique opportunity. This doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, I, I get excited. And I feel like God laid something on my heart that I get to share with you this morning. And um, I, I really believe that um, it's going to speak to me as I speak it to you. And um, the, the title of my message is Better Through the Battle. Better Through the Battle. If you're taking notes, write that down. Better Through the Battle. If you're not taking notes, write that down. Better. That's, that's a bad pastor joke. But I said it because I love you guys. Okay. You know, it's funny. When I think about this year, I don't know about you, but I have, I have never seen a year quite like this. I, I think that's safe to say for just about anyone. I know some of you have outlived me by a few years. Uh, I'm sure we could remember back, like, you know, for, for me, probably the earliest, me- earliest memory of something that was like a disruption and created a lot of fear and panic uh, was Y2K. Does anybody remember Y2K? Uh, no, nobody under the age of 15 has any clue what we're talking about, but ask your parents someday. And Y2K was crazy. I just remember, like, I remember at one point there were people, uh, you know, that were telling us that just as soon as midnight struck that the world was going to collapse and my parents apparently weren't real worried about it because we had a youth lock-in that night on New Year's Eve. So I guess they figured if the world came to an end, they're in church, it's the best place to be. I don't know, but we were, we were hanging out there and um, nothing ever materialized with that. And then I, I, remember, I remember obviously 9-11. I, I'm sure all of us can, can, tell, uh, can tell others like where we were in that moment. And I'll never forget, I was in, in my history class and we were looking at what we thought at the time was an amazing high definition screen, you know, before 4K existed. We just thought it was amazing. We were watching as first we, saw, we thought it was an accident and then we saw the, the second plane hit the tower. I just remember panic striking our country. Everyone here that lived through it remembers that. And I remember there were people lined up as far as the eye could see to get gas because people were nervous about gas running out. And, and now, obviously, we've been through 2008, the recession, and here we are in the year 2020. If I'm being honest, just being transparent, I can tell you this, like, I don't know if I have ever felt more like every day of my life I'm waking up to fight a new battle. And regardless of what it is, it just seems like who knows what is coming next. We're only halfway done, folks. Like, who knows what the rest of 2020 holds? But I'm sure there are going to be some more battles to fight and some more, some more challenges to face. And here's, here's why that is difficult to reconcile as, as a Christian, as a Christ follower. I think because in our culture, especially in, like, the westernized church, our western way of thinking it really, it idealizes following Jesus. And what we kind of assume is the moment that I start following Jesus is the moment that I stop facing opposition. It's the moment that I stop facing resistance. But anybody that's followed Jesus longer than five minutes will tell you that actually the more that we follow Jesus, the more battles we're gonna have to face. We have to fight to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's why 1 Timothy 6 says we are fighting the good fight of faith. It's a fight. Now, it's not the conventional kind of fight. If, if you're new to this whole concept, Ephesians 6.12 says it very well. It's a different kind of fight. Let's read this together. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. In other words, sometimes we think that our problem is our problem, but, but really our problem is the spirit behind the problem. Because listen to what it goes on to say. It says, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. 
So in other words, we can't see it, and whether we're aware of it or not, there is a war waging all around us. We're, we're in a battle whether we know it or not. It goes on to say against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And guess what? The enemy would love for us to be oblivious to this war. He would love for us to not realize that it's happening. And just a cool plug, if you haven't already, just download the BC app. You can search Believer's Church and whatever your uh, app store is. And you can, you can go back to a series that we did last fall called Doors. And we talked about how the unseen world has an impact on the world that we can see. So that's for another time and another day. But there are for sure some battles that we're gonna have to fight as believers. And, and I know some of you are like, Joe, come on, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Like that's, that's not my thing. I've never... I've never seen myself as much of a fighter. Why, why does it matter? Why, why is it so important? And here's, here's the crux of the entire message. This is my big idea. Because battles make me better. Because battles make me better. That's why, that's why I need to fight them. That's why I need to face them. So often, I don't know about you, just being honest in God's house, so often I try to pray away the very thing that God wants to stay. And I can become stagnant in my walk with God. And when I stop fighting, I, st I stop growing. Battles make me better. And so this is a great scripture that, that backs that point. If you want some Bible to go with this, this is probably could be the, the theme scripture of 2020. I'm gonna be honest with you and say, you know how preachers always say, this is one of my favorite scriptures. This is one of my least favorite scriptures in all of the Bible, okay? Just being honest right now. This is James chapter one, verse two. It's just funny to me how they phrase it. Consider it pure joy. You know, like, okay. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, talking to everybody, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, you're not gonna see this on a Christian t-shirt at the bookstore. That's usually not the scripture they go with. It's usually not in the Precious Moments collection. You're not gonna see it, but listen, listen to why it's so important. It says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So in other words, sometimes I'm praying to God for his promises to happen, and he answers my, form, my prayer in the form of perseverance. And he says, you're gonna have to fight some battles because battles make you better. Here's what it goes on to say. It's just saying the same thing in a different way. Verse four, let perseverance finish its work. Why? so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, battles make me better. God wants his kids to be battle ready and battle tested. And there's a great example of this in Judges chapter three. Just to set the stage, remember the Israelites have been through a lot, 400 years enslaved to the Egyptians, finally get out of, out of Egypt, and then for 40 years, they're wandering in circles in the wilderness. That was, a pretty tough, that was a pretty tough deal. And then God doesn't let the older generation in, remember, because they wouldn't obey him and they wouldn't listen to him. And so he says, I'm gonna wait for all of you to go to heaven and then your kids are gonna experience my promises. And you would think, you would think that after waiting for 440 years, as they stood on the threshold of where they are in the promises of God, you would think, surely once I get to the promised land, there won't be any battles waiting for me there. It's the land of milk and honey. It's the promised land. And I think this way sometimes, and I'm sure you do too. God, surely after you bless me with the promise of my marriage, surely I won't have to fight for my marriage. God, I thought that once I got the job, once I had the career, once I got the degree, once I launched the business, I thought for sure there wouldn't be any battles waiting for me on the other side. No, but I want you to see how God thinks. 
This is Judges chapter three, verse one. It says this, here's a list of the nations, this is interesting wording, that the Lord caused to remain in order to test Israel. In other words, sometimes I pray for the path of least resistance and God says, no, 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 I'm gonna answer your prayer in the form of a path of most resistance. Why? Because battles make you better. And I wanna be careful and I wanna make sure you don't, you don't hear me saying this. I don't believe God makes us sick. I don't believe that any of the bad things in our life are here because God made them come. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. And there is no shadow or deviation in his turning. There's no changing in his character. But I do believe, as believers, we have to fight some battles. Listen to what it says next. It says, the Lord caused them to remain in order to test Israel. That is, everyone who had not gained any battle experience in Canaan. What's he saying? There's a new generation that have never fought the battles that their parents fought. Can I tell you something? No one else can fight our battles for us. My dad can't fight my battles for me. My pastor can't fight my battles for me. My parents can't fight my battles. My youth pastor, I have to fight my battles for me because battles make me better. So I just wanna take a few minutes this morning at BC Boardman, and I wanna share a message that I think is gonna encourage you and help you, all right? And I wanna give you three ways to get better through the battle. Here's the first one. If we're gonna get better through the battle, we gotta be ready to face some giants. We gotta be ready to face some giants. And here's what I've discovered. This is just my personal experience. It might be different for you, but the bigger the promises, the bigger the giants. The bigger the plan of God, the more opposition I am gonna face. So we gotta be ready to face some giants. And, and honestly, just as, as a kid, from the youngest of ages, giants have always fascinated me. And it's, it's crazy, because like most of us are familiar with Goliath, right? But there are dozens and dozens of references to different giants, and Goliath was certainly not the last giant that David would face. It was the first of many. And giants, with no exceptions, giants always stood in between God's people and God's promises. They were obstacles that the enemy would put in the way to prevent them from his promises. And giants are really fascinating to me. I mean, like, they weren't just extra tall people, okay? Because, like, if you're not familiar with this, in Genesis chapter 6, they tell us where giants come from. And this is theologically debated on exactly what it means. But one thing we know is it wasn't just a genetic thing. It was that they were, it, they were the product, the offspring of fallen angels and of, of humans, and so they were, they were supernaturally strong. Uh, they, they, were in, they, were, they were terrifying. And they stood in the way all the time of what God wanted to do in his people. I, one of the, the biggest giants on record, his name is King Og. And you can find him uh, in, in uh, one of the scriptures. They mentioned that he had a bed stand that was 14 feet long and six feet wide. He was just a massive giant. And I don't know if you knew this, but we had him swing by here uh, this week so we could snap a picture. I just wanted you to have a reference point. And so... Um, so I just wanted you to see the size relative to BC Boardman. I'll get over here so everybody can see it. The bottom of the stucco is 12 feet high. If his bed was 14 feet, I'm a preacher, so I like to get as close as I can to 14 feet, okay? But, but he was, we put him at about 13 feet there, okay? That's like an average size man of six feet. I just want you to get it in your mind how intimidating and how imposing these giants were. So real quick, I wanna show you, get that off the screen, nobody will stop looking, okay. I wanna do for a minute, I just wanna, I wanna take a look at 
a few giants or a few different races of giants, and I wanna tell you what they literally meant, their names literally meant, because I think this will help you. I think God wants to preach out of this a little bit this morning. The first race of giants, they were the Emim, not like memes like the internet, but the Emim, and their names literally meant terrors. Deuteronomy 2 is where you can find them. And I, I just, I start to think about the scripture when I hear the word terror immediately, I, I thought of the scripture, Luke 21, 26. The context of this is in the last days. It says, in the last days, people will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. Have we ever seen a culture that is more anxious and more terrified? Have we ever seen more panic attacks and more depression than we are right now? I was wondering that, and this week I started to research it, and I just wanna read you a couple of statistics to give you some science to back what the Bible is saying. Uh, these are stats on anxiety from the National Institute of Health. Uh, this is an interesting thing. A few years ago, back in 2017, Barnes & Noble, who obviously is the largest book distributor in all of America, in one year's time, they saw a 25% surge in sales of books about anxiety. In one year's time, a 25% surge. Now, can you imagine where the book sales on anxiety have gone in 2020? I don't even have a guess on that, but I'm sure much higher. How about this? From May 2018 to 2019, 39% of adults in the U.S. reported a rise in anxiety. And this is the one that gets me the most because I'm a former youth pastor and I just love students. Did you know that today, one in three teens, 13 to 18 years old, will experience some, some kind of anxiety disorder? One in three. So could it be that there are some giants that are standing in our way and we as the church have to know what they are first of all and see them for what they are, but ultimately so we can remove them. Here, here's another one. This, is, this was an actual giant. His name was Lami and his name meant warrior or eater. Transliterated, it meant to eat bread and wage war. In other words, I'm gonna eat you for breakfast. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is what he was saying as he would roll up to a battle. Can you imagine how intimidated you would be as like a regular average sized person? This is what would happen. And this is why the Israelites on one occasion when they went into the promised land as spies, they came back and they said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. They were intimidating and they were, they were big and they were standing in the way of God's people and God's promises. Uh, here's another one. This is, uh, this is the Zamzimim. This is my favorite one to say, Zamzimim. A people who speak in buzzing or rumbling noises. This is what their name meant from the Hebrew word buzzer. And you can kind of even hear it in their name like Zamzimim. You know, like Zamzim. I'm just trying to help you remember it. Zamzimim. I don't know if anything sounds more like murder hornets to me than that right there. Like we're reliving this stuff in 2020. But here's the point, you could hear them coming from a long way off. They were loud, they were intimidating. Maybe this is the giant of our culture. Because I don't know if life has ever been louder. There has never been so much noise in our world and everybody has an opinion about what you need to believe and what it is that is the truth. And there's, there's a battle waging, there's battlegrounds drawn for this and we as believers have to see it for what it is. Here's the last one. Sipai, and this is another son of Goliath. By the way, just for fun, this is for free. Did you know that one of Goliath's sons had 12 fingers and 12 toes? That's like some real princess bride stuff right there. I don't know, that's, that's off-putting, even that alone. Even if you're five feet tall, you come at me with 12 fingers and 12 toes, I'm running in the opposite direction. <laughs> Sipai meant gatekeeper or fence worker. This is found in 1 Chronicles 24. In other words, he was protecting a territory. 
These giants, they see territory that belongs to God, just like the promised land, just like Canaan, and they wanna try to get in there and take something that belongs to God's kids. Been doing it since day one. And uh, I just, I wanna point out the obvious. The devil wouldn't put a giant in your way unless there was a promise on the other side. He's nervous about what belongs to you. He's nervous that one day we would all get a sniff of what belongs to us and start reclaiming it. And uh, for those of you that are like extra saved, like extra paper Bible saved, grew up in church, we used to sing this song. I think it was from like Hosanna Integrity back in the 90s. Y'all remember this? I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. Okay, all right, we'll sing it afterwards. Maybe what God's trying to say is there's some territory to take back. Maybe sometimes we're just freely handing over territory to a culture that's louder. Some of us could be one fight away from freedom and we don't even know it. And this is why I just believe with all of my heart, we've gotta keep fighting for purity. We've gotta keep fighting for holiness and righteousness. We gotta fight for our marriages, fight for our kids, fight for our schools, not in a militant way, but in a way that says we believe that we have the answer in a culture that needs it so desperately. It's time to take back some territory. So we gotta be ready to face some giants. Here's the second one. Never go into a battle without your armor on. Never go into a battle without your armor on. Remember, right after our struggle isn't with flesh and blood, as you continue in Ephesians 6, 13, this is interesting. It starts to talk about the armor of God. So it says, therefore, or in other words, in light of the fact that there's an invisible battle all around you, therefore put on the full armor of God. And it's important to realize that it's not just some of the armor, it's the full armor. Because what good would it do for me to come into a battle with my helmet on, but nothing else covered? What good would it do to have on a belt if I don't have on the full armor? Because I'm left vulnerable and susceptible to the attack of the enemy. So he's saying the obvious, put on the full armor of God, and here's why. So that when the day of evil comes, not if it comes, but when it comes, it's on its way. When it comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, then to stand. Remember, the enemy wants to, he wants to take territory that belongs to us, and then he wants to place giants there as gatekeepers so we don't come back and take what belongs to us. But God is saying the way you stand your ground as a believer is by having the full armor of God. Now, I just, real quick, I wanna say this. I wish I could, I could go over every piece of the armor. This is actually Pastor Joe, one of his, his famous subjects. He's been preaching this since the 90s. I have, in my dad's office, there's this huge, remember cassette tapes, anybody? They, there's like a 15 you know, cassette tape pack of the armor of God. Back when my dad preached an hour and a half every week and people would still come and listen because they were hungry, you know what I'm saying? And so um, he, I'll leave that to him, but I'm just gonna highlight a couple, all right? Here's the first one, it's the belt of truth. The belt of truth. I like this, it says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That's Ephesians 6, 14. Now you have to remember that Paul, when he's talking to the church at Ephesus, their reference point for a soldier would have been the Roman soldier. And so they, they have this beautiful picture painted of what the armor would look like, and Paul is using the armor of goddess as a parallel. And so this is interesting. Did you know that a Roman soldier, he had to put on his belt first because every other part of the armor attached to or was built on the belt. If you didn't have the belt first, nothing else would work. 
So what is God saying about the belt of truth? He's saying everything in our lives as followers of Jesus is built on the foundation of the truth. And Jesus is the way and the truth in the life. The Bible actually calls the church the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So if we're building our life on Jesus and his church that he says he's building in the world, we're in good shape. But can we all agree there is an all-out assault on the truth? There's an attack on the truth in our culture. In those loud voices, they'll say things like this. Maybe you've heard this at your school. Maybe you've heard this at the university or on the job. Or maybe we've said this just not knowing. Maybe you've heard it said that there is no absolute truth. You do you, I'll do me. You live your truth, I'll live mine. And it sounds good and it sounds inclusive. But I want you to think about this. Uh, This will just arm you with the right things to say. I don't want you to get into a confrontation with people, but it just helps you to have the power to reason. If someone says there is no absolute truth, that's circular reasoning because they're making an absolute statement that there is no absolute truth. It doesn't even make sense. And if you ever wanna mess with somebody and have a little fun with them, if, if they say there is no absolute truth, you could just ask them, are you absolutely sure? And uh, they'll love that one. Anyways, that was for free. And I don't say that to be argumentative, but here's, here's why it matters. Because if Jesus is the way and the truth in the life and, and truth is what sets us free, then we wanna make sure that we're not diluting the truth one bit. Because when we water down the word of God, Jesus is the word who became flesh. And if we water down the word and we water down the truth, we present a different Jesus than the Jesus in the Bible to a world that really needs that Jesus. And just because it's trending doesn't mean it's true. And just because it's loud doesn't mean it's right. And so we have to hold on to the truth. We have to build our lives on the truth. Here's the second one. This is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. And I love this one because it covered, it would have been so important, it covered all the vital organs. But most importantly, what did it cover? The heart. And so there's something that God is saying through this. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is he saying? Guard your heart. If we're gonna fight battles in the age of pandemics, And all of this crazy stuff that's swirling around us, we have got to guard our heart more than ever. The Bible says, guard your heart with what? With all diligence, because out of it flows the issues or the boundaries of your life. And so lately, God's just been dealing with me. Don't let anything in. Anything that just even has a hint of what the world would want you to think, just filter it out. Just put on on the breastplate of, of righteousness. The Bible even says that at times, we would be blessed if we are persecuted for righteousness sake. Righteousness means to be in right standing with God. It means that I flee every hint of immorality. It means that the rest of the world might be going this way, but if Jesus is going that way, I'm going that way. And so I put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so let me ask you, like, here's a great checklist. What's on my phone? What am I paging through? What am I looking at? What am I listening to? Am I guarding my heart? Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So I wanna build my life on something that matters. I have to have the truth, but I've gotta have the breastplate of righteousness. Here's another one. This is a really cool one. This is the the shoes of peace, the shoes of the gospel of peace. It's interesting how they phrase this. Listen to this. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I think that's interesting because, listen, the gospel, we're, we're living in an age where there's a lot of bad news. Can we agree with that? And there's something about the gospel that when it comes into an environment, it brings peace. It's different. Why? Because it's good news. The gospel is the good news. 
And it's interesting that it says it's fitted to your feet. This is all coming from Romans chapter 10, verse 15, and there's another reference in the Old Testament. Remember, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So what's it saying? There, there's something so cool, so beautiful, it actually it, it inspires awe when people can see the beauty of the gospel go into dark places, go into broken places. And I love that it says fitted, because here, here's what it means. All of us are called to share the gospel, but all of us have a unique fit in a unique way that we do it. It's a custom fit. Do you notice that it says with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace? What's that mean? We have got to live ready. Everywhere we go, there are people that need Jesus. There are people that need to hear the good news. I'll give you a great example. I always like to just Tell people, you, you have to do it in the way that God gifted you to do it. It would make no sense for you to try to be like Pastor Joe on your job. That's not your calling. The world doesn't need another Pastor Joe. The world needs you. And you have unique gifts and talents and a personality. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite people in the whole world, his name is Dave. And um, Dave is part of our Warren campus. He grew up going to our Christian school like 30-some years ago at the Warren campus. So I've just known him a long time. And Dave grew up and had some bad experiences with religion and, and really didn't feel very accepted when he was going through some, some stuff in his life. And so he just kind of distanced himself and he found himself as a part of a biker club. And this biker club was like the first time he felt like he belonged and nobody told him you have to change before you can belong. You just come as you are. And, and so it was the first family he ever experienced. And so, so Dave ends up in this club and and he starts to realize this is more than like a club. This is like a biker gang. And he, he starts to get incredibly addicted to drugs and to alcohol and, and uh, starts to pull him in a little bit deeper. Eventually, he becomes the enforcer in this club. And so when they have issues with other rival gangs or other people in town, this is Dave's job to take care of it. I mean, he's a pretty tough guy. And, and so eventually, he starts to slip into all kinds of sin. He's very far from God. Um, he he's, becomes a serial cheater on his wife and just things he never thought he would do. And it all culminated this one night at a bar. He got into a barroom brawl with a, a rival gang and he ends up getting shot several times and almost dying. So he's in the hospital. He's recovering. He hasn't been to church in years and years. And somebody uh, that he knew from BC um, was just trying to reconnect with him and they said, hey, um, you wanna hang out? And so it's funny how God works. I think he said, you want to grab a beer? And so they, they went and they were just hanging out. And in the conversation, naturally, it came up. He said, hey, would you ever want to come back to church? And he said, oh, I think, I think the building would collapse on top of me if I ever came back to church. I don't. And he said, no, 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 no. No perfect people allowed. God loves you right where you are. Come back to church. And so he comes back to church. And I just, I, I've heard him describe how the worship just broke him down. And, and he couldn't help me. Just this man that hadn't cried in years started crying and God just started healing his life and his relationships in a major way. And so God is restoring everything. His marriage is back to where it was before and, and better. And God's restoring relationships with his kids that didn't want to talk to him. All this amazing stuff. But there was one person in his life that he thought, I will never, ever interact with this person. And it was the man that shot him. He just thought, I don't want anything to do with him. I'm sure if somebody shot us, we'd probably feel a bit of unforgiveness and bitterness we'd have to work through as well. And so... This one day, Dave didn't see it coming, but Dave's the kind of guy that just lives ready and he prays, God, would you lead me across people's paths that need you? He goes to this, this local restaurant right down the street off of Elm Road, right down the street from the Warren campus. They're sitting in this diner and he is, he is just kind of like, 
uh, thinking through all the things going on in his life, and he has a friend named Bill who's talking, and he said, I honestly wasn't listening to him because I see this person walk in the room, and guess who walks in? The man who shot Dave. And so immediately, he thinks, I gotta get out of here. First of all, I don't know if this guy is okay with me. Uh, secondly, I don't know if I'm okay with him. All those thoughts of rage, you know, we've all been there. The old us starts to wanna creep back in. But guess what God tells him to do? God says, I want you to pay for his breakfast. And so Dave said, no, 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 no. Get the behind me, Satan. Like, I'm no, no, no. And he keeps hearing God do it. And well, here's what Dave used as an excuse. He said, well, God, in my wallet, I only have this amount of cash. I, I don't even have a credit card right now. I can't do it. And so he kind of pushes, you know, he's trying to make an exit strategy. Well, he doesn't know this, but his friend Bill, who is unemployed at the time, hears God say, I want you to pay for Dave's breakfast. He doesn't even know this guy is in here. He doesn't know that God told Dave to do this. And he starts arguing with God too. But finally he says, all right, I'm gonna do it. And so he pays for it. And guess what? The exact amount that Dave would have needed to cover this man and the person that was sitting next to him is in Dave's wallet. And he, he, gets, he signals the waitress to come over. And he says, hey, I would love for them to not know who did this, but I would just really like to pay for his breakfast. Pays for the breakfast and walks out. Well, about 30 seconds pass. He's out in the parking lot getting ready to get on his motorcycle. And he hears this all too familiar voice say, hey. And he turns around and he knows exactly who it is. And the man says, why would you do that? And Dave, who thought he would have these feelings of hate and rage and unforgiveness, he looks at him and he has this love and compassion come all over him. And he says, I just wanted to let you know that I forgive you and I'm sorry. And I wanna let you know that Jesus loves you. And he said, would it be okay if I gave you a hug? <laughs> Can you imagine this? Two of the burliest biker guys gives him a hug and the guy lets him do it. And the guy starts, he starts weeping. And, and God uses that moment. And I'm telling you, Dave is a different person than he was even five years ago when he gave his heart to Jesus. And everywhere he goes, he lives ready. I'm just telling you, God wants to use us. What could God do through us? Who are the people waiting? Just a couple weeks ago, I never go to Aldi in Boardman, but I was like, for whatever the reason, ended up there. And um, I was just trying to go through and get all the stuff that I needed. I was with my kids. My wife was out of town. It was just a weird day. And I finally get to the point, you know, where there's like two long lines and you're like, which one's moving faster? And I have all my theories and algorithms on which one's gonna move faster. And, and I decided to go on the line on the right. And so I get there. I finally get up to the, to the register and the person has a mask on so I don't recognize them. And they're like, Joe Caminetti? And I'm like, yeah, who, who are you? And they pull their mask down and it's this girl that I have not seen since I was a youth pastor like six or seven years ago. She hasn't been in church since then. And she says, this is crazy because just the other day, my grandma was saying, I need to go back to church. And I said, yeah, I would love to go back to church, but I live out here in Boardman now and I used to go to Warren. And, and so guess what? I had the amazing opportunity of saying, well, guess what? <laughs> We're, we have an amazing campus here in Boardman. We'd love to see. And we just, it was just this amazing opportunity where God teed me up. I didn't even have to, I just live ready. And, I, and so now I have her number. Erin's gonna get in touch with her. I promise you she'll be here at some point. Would you pray for her? Who are the people in your life? All right, cool. I, I'm getting to preaching here. I gotta keep going. So then we have the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Those are different messages for different days. Here's, here's the third one. This, the third thing we have to do if we wanna get better through a battle is we kind of round third and head home. We've gotta fight for what matters. We have to fight for what matters. 
I'm sure all of us know this by now, but just in case, you, you do know that the devil's mission is to divide God's people. God's mission is to multiply. He'll say it over and over again, be fruitful, multiply. He wants to grow his church because he wants more people in heaven. He wants more people living with this purpose. He wants, to, he wants to know his kids. He's not willing that one would perish. But everything that the enemy touches gets divided. Everything that the enemy touches diminishes. And so it probably goes without saying, but let's just get real obvious here. Satan wants us to fight with each other, but God calls us to fight for each other. And so we have to learn to fight for what matters, because here's what I've noticed. I, I just, I've seen this happen again and again in my life. I think the enemy would love to reduce our relationship with God down to a mask. And he'd love to say, hey, he'd love to make it about a mask. Hey, are you, are you for masks or against masks? He'd, he'd love to make it about a political party. Are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you a Libertarian? Are you QAnon? You know what I mean? And whatever it is, like there's, there's a, so many different ways that he would love to divide us. He would love to convince us that we belong to a country before we belong to a kingdom. This is the way he works. But God, he wants us to be on the same page. He wants us to be unified. And the devil knows the power of unity. And this is why God challenges me on things like Facebook and Instagram and the comment section. Take a look at this meme. This spoke to me. The Holy Spirit uses memes to preach to me. I just like that. The Holy Spirit my responses to people on social media. That'll preach. Okay, I'll leave it be. I'll leave it be. Stepping on some toes today. Okay. Now why? Because there's a power in unity. First Chronicles 12.33, this is a moment where David and his armies that were facing giants and facing people that were opposed to the will of God being done in the earth, it shows this beautiful picture of unity. It says there were these men of Zebulun and there were 50,000 who went out to battle and they were experts in war with all weapons of war. Listen to this. One translation said they were stout-hearted men, undivided in heart. Another translation says not of double heart. In other words, they're not going in this way and that way. They're all screaming green. They're all going in the same direction as one of our core values says. How about this one? They would keep ranks and so keeping ranks, when you were in the heat of battle, this became so important because if the enemy could get a cluster of, of you to, to scatter in this direction and a cluster there, he could get in among the ranks and he could wreak havoc. But someone who kept ranks, that meant that because of who they served and because of who they were fighting for, they might not agree on all the strategies or all the tactics. They might not agree with each other or like each other all the time, but they loved each other and they were committed to staying together in unity in the battle. And so they kept ranks. And when we're unified, our purpose is so clear. I just love what, what it says a few verses later. Verse 38, all these men came in battle array to Hebron with the single purpose of making David the king over all Israel. And I love how it ends. In fact, everyone in Israel agreed. There's power in agreement. And we might not all agree on everything. Actually, I can guarantee it. I can start right here. I bet there's a Michigan Wolverine fan in the house and I, can't, I cannot get with the devil's team and so it'll never happen, but we're never gonna agree on everything, but here's what they're saying. We can agree on one thing. We want our king to, to reign. We wanna fight for our king. This is so similar to what we're called to do as Christ followers. We're called to lift up our king, Jesus Christ. And we fight under the banner of Jesus and we're not fighting against the world. We're fighting for a world that needs to know him. And it is a distraction if we look to this side or to that side and make it anything other than Jesus. 
There's power and agreement. The, the Bible says one puts a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000. I'm no mathematician, but that's like exponential growth. That's exponential work that God's doing. What is possible with just the people in this room to reach the people of Boardman and Poland and Canfield and Columbiana and Struthers and Austintown and you name it, that all the surrounding areas, we're put here to be a light and to reach people, but we gotta be unified, unified to do it. So we're gonna end here. And I just wanna end by encouraging with this, this thought, this story. Um, I, I just think it's helpful because I don't know about you, but in my life, because I've known Jesus for so long, I can just really easy get comfortable, really easily. Um, I can get into my, my circles. Maybe you call it like my believer's bubble. And I love you guys, and I'd love to just hang out with you all the time, and it's kind of easy to do that. I always joke, and I like to say, like most Christians, we, we get into this, you know, there's an, an initial place where we need to remove ourselves from the world because the world had a grip on us, and we wanna, we wanna get outside of that grip, and we wanna be sanctified and think like Jesus, and that's great. But eventually, there's this moment where we have to reintegrate into the world we're called to reach. And if I only ever wear Christian t-shirts and listen to Christian radio and eat Christian chicken at Chick-fil-A, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Number one with Coke, extra Chick-fil-A. So anyways, okay. If that's my life, then I miss out on the miracle of what I was made for in the first place. And it is so easy to forget where I came from. I'll give you a good example. I'm just trying to say, have some compassion for the people that are in the position where you came from. I was, I was driving uh, about a month ago and I was getting in another lane and as uh, construction would often have you do, you have to merge lanes. We know that well here in Boardman. There's always construction happening somewhere. And so I just remember, you know that feeling of like annoyance and slash panic when you merge onto a highway and you see that it's going down to one lane and you are depending on the, the grace and the kindness of complete strangers to let you into that lane, right? And so I was just, you know, pleading with God. I was just telling God, I'll never, I'll never sin again. I'll never, I'll never eat at McDonald's again. I don't know. I was just negotiating with him, whatever it is. And, and finally, someone just let me in. And I was just like, thank you, God. But I mean, it took me all, I'm just being honest. It took me all of 15 seconds to forgot where I came from. Have you ever been in the new lane and then someone else pulls up next to you and they're trying to merge in and you're like, uh-uh, no, go to the back of the line. Not today. How quickly we forget where we came from. But I think what God is trying to say is, hey, that was once you. We were all once in darkness. We were all once blinded to the light. And, and it's the gospel and the compassion of Jesus that drew us to the place we are today. And so I just believe this with all of my heart. I believe God is gonna start putting us in the path of people that are far from him. And sometimes we're in a position where we can say, hey, come here, here's, here's the path, here's the way. Let me show you how to do this. Let me show you where to go. God wants to use you to do that. This, this is my, probably one of my favorite scriptures lately. This is 2 Timothy 4.7. It's the last one I'll read to you today. 2 Timothy 4.7. I pray I would be able to say this one day. I pray that when I stand before my maker, one day I would be able to say, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the course and I have kept the faith. You can bow your heads and close your eyes. Even if you're listening to this in the lobby or you're listening to this later and you're at home and you're not able to come, I just believe God is doing something 
right now in 2020 that he's never done before. And I just wanna call every person within the sound of my voice to take a step. Every part of our relationship with God starts with a step. And so what I'm asking you to do today is to put aside some distractions. Maybe it's some relationships. Maybe it's some worries. Maybe it's some cares of this life. Maybe it's some unforgiveness. I don't know what your giant is, but every one of us has some giants in the way. And today those giants could come crashing down with one decision. For some of you, you've given up some territory and it's time to take back that territory for some of you, you've just, just ever so slightly distanced yourself from God's people, maybe because of hurt or wound or disappointment. All of us face it. But I really believe God's just saying, just dig in deeper. Just because your brother hurts you or your sister hurts you doesn't make them any less your brother or your sister. Actually, in Matthew 18, it says, if you go to your brother and your sister and you tell them how they hurt you and you work it out, you've actually gained a brother. You've actually grown in your relationship. So fight for what matters. That matters more than ever today. We need each other. So I'm just gonna invite you to take a step. Maybe you could just pray this with me through your mask. Just mean it with all of your heart. Can you repeat this after me? Say, dear God, I want to follow you and I will fight to follow you because battles make me better. I will fight for what matters. I'm ready to face whatever giant is in my way. In Jesus' name. Now, heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. I just wanna to speak to one other group. You never know who's here that might need to hear this. If you can't remember a moment in your life where you said, Joe, I'm ready, I'm ready to take that step. God, I wanna know you and I wanna follow you. I call myself a follower of Jesus. If you can't remember a moment in your life, not when you went to church or you were baptized or had your first communion, those are all beautiful things, but those are not the thing. The Bible says that there's only one way to the Father and it's through Jesus. And so if that's you, you can't remember a moment in your life where you put Jesus in the driver's seat and you said, Jesus, I'm not perfect, but I'm inviting you into, into the driver's seat. You call the shots from here on out. I call you Savior and I call you Lord. I just wanna give you an opportunity to do that. And there might be two groups of people. One might be the person that feels far away from God and it's time to come back and return. The other might be the person that has never prayed that prayer before. But either way, can everyone in this room help me pray it together? If you believe this, I really believe there's a miracle that takes place in your heart because the Bible says if you believe in your heart and you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You're saved from an eternity separated from him and you inherit an eternity with him. And the coolest part is it's not just trying to get you to heaven someday. It's trying to get heaven into your here and now today. So let's pray that together. Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus, for the sacrifice he made for my sin. I won't be perfect, but today I take that step. I make that decision to call you Lord. I return to you if I've walked away. I am a Christian. Have your way in my life. Jesus, I call you Lord, amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. 
And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.